Good morning. Good. That was great. Wow. Good to see all of you. And uh, we uh, did something that we have never done before. We, uh, in the first service, we live streamed to all three of our campuses. Of course, we were live here, but we streamed to the other two, one in Cartersville, West Paulding, and it worked well. And, uh, but we're not streaming right now, so it's just us home folks here in, uh, in uh, East Paulding this morning. It's good to see everybody. And uh, Amy and I, as you know, we, uh, we've been gone for the last four weeks. Um, we, uh, about four years ago, the elders of the church um, asked me if, or kind of gave me permission to, to do something that, uh, that I had not done before, which was to take some time off during the summer. I, I don't vacation very well. I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time kind of shutting off. And uh, so I, I try to take vacations, but they said, you need to get away, get refreshed, get rejuvenated. So what I do during the summer is I'll go and, and uh, visit with other pastors, go visit other churches. I read a lot. Uh, I'll spend some time alone, which I did a couple weeks ago, uh, just praying about what God would have us to do in the next year, you know, as far as, you know, sermon series and this and that. And I uh, had a chance to meet with some mentors. And um, I'll tell you how I started off this rest time. I spoke six times in six days. That's kind of how I how I rested my first week um, in Texas, and it was great. But um, about two weeks in, finally just kind of sh- able to shut things off and uh, just got really rejuvenated. But I got to tell you what, love being back here. And uh, last night we were kind of getting ready to you know, go to bed, and my son Zach said, man, I'm so ready to get back to Westridge. And I felt the same way because there's not a better church in the world. So, so... It's good to be back. And a lot of cool things have happened this weekend. Uh, We have been involved, as many of you know, in what we call Community Makeover, something that God allowed us to start four years ago. And uh, just so many great stories. uh, Just, and I won't, we'll share many of them uh, tonight, I believe. But uh, Paul and and Amy and I got a chance to drive around yesterday and visit so many uh, cool things that were happening at elementary schools and individual homes and uh, talked to Steve Veal, our West Campus pastor, last night. They actually mowed uh, yards of of the neighbors around Poole Elementary School, just said, hey, we're going to mow your yard. And I said, well, why don't you come over to my house and mow my yard? But... um, they uh, just reached out, did a lot of painting, and, and, uh, and even up in Carter's, a lot of great things happened there yesterday. So uh, my understanding was, is we had, uh, there's going to be about 1,200, 13,000 volunteers, right, Paul? Uh, 110 churches working together, uh, 13,000 volunteers doing about uh, 950 plus projects all in one weekend. I think that's pretty cool, don't you? So good stuff. Good, good stuff. So we have been, uh, in the last uh, several weeks, we have been doing a series on uh, the names of God. And we, made, we just made a decision this summer to celebrate God, all that he's done in our lives, talk about his names, lift, lift him up. And so this morning, we're going to be finishing off that, this series. And I want to introduce you to uh, the name of God that, that stands above all other names, that is the name that the Bible calls the name above all names. And it, it is the most significant name that you're ever going to hear in your life. Um, and if you, if you know the history behind this name, um, you, you know that nations have fought other nations over this name. Countries have, have been divided over this name. Families have split over this name. Uh, miracles have been done in, in this name. Uh, demons have been cast out of people and even animals in this name. Uh, miracles have taken place in this name. Um, amazing prayers have been answered in, in this name. And there is, there is no more power 
and no more authority in this one name. There's more, I mean, there's more power, more power and more authority in this one name than, than any name that you will ever, ever encounter in your entire lifetime. And you'll say, what's the name? It's the name Yeshua, which means the Lord who saves. It is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus actually means salvation. It means deliverer. It means rescuer. It means, it means savior. In the New Testament, when an angel appeared to Joseph and, and, and told uh, him that his fiance Mary was pregnant and that she was going to have a child. Here's what, he, here's what he said. He said, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This baby was going to be given the name Jesus, Yeshua, and he would come and he would, he would be the savior of the world. He was going to bring salvation to all of mankind. Jesus Yeshua means the Lord who saves. Now, most of you in this room, you have heard this name before. You are familiar with the name Jesus. You're familiar with the word salvation. You probably heard pastors like me use uh, the phrase, like you, you must receive Jesus into your life to save you from your sin, or, or you need to ask Jesus to be your personal savior. But some of you might be asking, why, 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 why do I need a Lord who saves my life? Why do I need a personal savior? Why do I need a Jesus to save me? Well, if you'll remember in, in the garden of Eden, the very first man that ever lived was a man by the name of Adam and Adam chose to sin against God. And God, God said to Adam, he says, don't eat the fruit that is in the tree of the middle in the middle of the garden of Eden. And, um, and you, you know, we, we don't know exactly what kind of fruit that was, um, because we're in Georgia, we'll just assume it was a peach. How's that? Um, but, but God says, there's this one tree in the middle of all these other trees. It bears this one kind of fruit. Don't eat this fruit. And you look and you go, why was this one piece of fruit such a big deal? Well, it, it wasn't just a piece of fruit. That fruit represented a decision. It was a decision that either said to God, I want you to be the God over my life, or I am choosing to be the God of my life. This fruit ultimately represented the answer to the question, who's calling the shots in my life? And in as long as Adam left the fruit alone, there was this understanding that he and that he was letting God be in control of his life, that, that there was this, there was be this ultimate fellowship, this close, intimate relationship between he and God. There was going to be a peace that, that would be, um, uh, would represent a deep, deep, intimate relationship between God and Adam. However, if the fruit were, were to be eaten, God would know that man had made a choice. And the choice was, I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to ultimately, I'm going to be my own God. I want to make, I want to call the shots. He'd be saying, God, I, I really don't need you. I don't need the closeness. I don't need the intimacy. I don't want the friendship. I basically, I can do this whole thing on my own. So when Adam made a choice to eat the fruit, what did he do? He sinned and his sin was a game changer. Everything changed. Man's relationship with God went from close to distant when, when there, there was confidence in God's presence at one point, now there was fear. Instead of being friends with God, now uh, he was going to be classified, man would be classified as, as public enemy number one. And the saddest part of the whole thing was that where there was once life, now there was a promise that there would be death. Where would there was this promise that man would live forever with God, all of a sudden 
sin brought with it a grim reaper called death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. If you look in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says it this way. Adam sinned, and that sin brought death into the world. Now everyone has sinned, and so everyone must die. Not only will you die physically one day, but because of sin, without someone to rescue you from sin, you're going to live out your life spiritually dead. Now, I want to ask you a question. Um, big question, ready? How many of you like babies? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you don't have your hand raised. I, I don't understand that. Um, hate babies. Um, but I, I want to tell you something. I, I love babies. And I remember when my boys were little, um, little babies in their crib. I, I used to, at, at nighttime when they were sleeping, I would just go in there and I would stare at them. And I was just so amazed um, how these, just how these little tiny fingers could work. And their little tiny feet and toes. And I mean, I was just in awe um, and so thankful that they look like their mom, number one. But I was so just grateful for just, I mean, just looking at just all these little pieces and how they work. And they were so tiny. But it didn't take long for me to realize that as sweet as they were, they had this sin thing inside of them. And I remember the very first time that I, that I, that I really saw it. Um, my son Taylor was, was real little. And it was a little baby. And, and I don't know how many of you have had uh, your kids in one of these. But we had one of these little saucers that had wheels on it. And we put Taylor in the saucer and, and it had little toys around it. And we could pour Cheerios on the, on, in the saucer. And they would kind of scoot themselves around the house. How many of you, you ever had one of those? Some of you still do. And Taylor, I mean, he would fly around the house in this thing. It was like a bumper car to him. And um, we had in our house, um, it was a live uh, ficus tree. And uh, he would, would, would go over to the tree and he would just start taking dirt and just like scoop it out all over the carpet. And I would go, no, that's a no-no, Taylor, you know. And, and he, you know, we'd clean the, the carpet up and put all the dirt back in and bring out the vacuum cleaner. And all of a sudden, you know, I'd look back over and, you know, he got dirt all over the floor again. And so finally I, I took his, 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 his little hand and like that, don't call defects on me, okay? All right, but... Uh, you know, and, and, and he would go, ah, you know, and all of a sudden I said, Taylor, that's a no, no. You know, I'm trying to teach him don't throw the dirt all over the floor. You know, that kind of thing. Well, all of a sudden one day I'm sitting on the couch watching TV and I'm seeing this little, this little scooter thing go over to the, to the tree and, and it stops there. And I look over at him and he, he's got his hand, does this kind of thing. And he looks over at me and I said, Taylor, that's a no, no. And all of a sudden he's just kind of like, and he's just sitting there. Hand goes back over. And I'm Taylor, uh-uh. And all of a sudden, you know, and so, you know, so, you know, I mean, and this went on for a while. I mean, he's, you know, a few days later, I'm sitting, and, you know, Amy called me on the phone. The boy's scooping dirt on the floor again, you know, kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there looking, I'm going, how does he learn this? I mean, this, this whole thing, I mean, where did this come from? And I realized, I mean, all that came from his mom, but... You know, not really, but, but you know, what's amazing. I didn't teach him to do that. It just came as part of the package. I mean, you know, I look at both of my boys. They came with two eyes, two ears, two legs, two arms, two hands, two feet and sin. It was amazing. And you think, where does the sin thing come from? Well, it came from me, which came from my dad, which came from his dad, came from his dad. Came, I mean, you can, I don't know if you're into tracing your, 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 your roots and your ancestry, but you could tra- trace sin. You trace it all the way back. Where did it come? Adam. Adam in the garden of Eden. So because of Adam's sin, you look at this and you go, well, where does that leave us? Where does this leave mankind? Well, without Jesus, guess what? We are enemies of God. 
That's what the Bible says. We are lost. We are distant from God. We are spiritually lost. And you, without Jesus this morning, you are a hopeless, helpless sinner. Here's what Ephesians 2 says. It says, once you were dead, this is after you've come to Christ. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like every one of us. That verse tells us that sin brought out a side of God that man had never seen before. Where there was once this close fellowship, this love, all of a sudden, for the very first time, man saw anger, wrath, and judgment. And the judgment against sin was eternal separation from God. Separated from God meant that we were eternally damned. Now, some of you may be going, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, there's something you need to know about sin. Sin has consequences. And the ultimate consequence for sin is eternal separation from God in a very very real place called hell. Now, there's a lot of folks out there today that, that believe that everybody gets in. It's called universalism. Everybody gets in. But that's contrary to what the Bible says. The Bible says that only those who put their trust in Christ get in. There's a very real place that the Bible talks about called hell. That one act of sin had these these crazy life-changing consequences. Where there was once this closeness with God, sin brought complete separation with absolutely no way to make things right. It was like, imagine yourself if you were standing over here at the Grand Canyon and over on the complete other side of the Grand Canyon was was God. And you had absolutely no way to get over to, to, to the other side of them. And that great chasm that stood there between you and God, this great divide, was your sin. And all of a sudden you're living your life and you're like, God, I'm over here. You're over here. And there's this huge divide between us, my sin. And I cannot get to you. I cannot, no matter what I do, I can't get to you. And so you have to ask the question, how do we bridge that gap? Well, sin also requires something. It requires a perfect sacrifice. And if you look in the Old Testament, the Jews, they used to sacrifice lambs just to make things right between themselves and God. And they would, they would kill lambs just to try to cover their sins. Once a year, a priest would go into the temple on the Day of Atonement and he would make an animal sacrifice for the sins of the whole people for that, for that whole year. But because none of these lambs were, were actually perfect, the blood of those lambs could, could never provide what sin required, which was a perfect sacrifice. They could cover their sin, but they could never remove their sin. It was a crazy thing. Mankind was was hopeless. He was helpless. And the question of the day was, how can we ever make things right with God? How do we ever get from here to here? How can we ever cross this great divide to get back in right standing with him? How can we once and for all get this weight of sin off of our backs? Well, one day God makes this announcement. And he uses an Old Testament prophet by the name of, of Isaiah to deliver the news. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, here's what it says. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
out of his goodness, out of his kindness, out of his love, out of his mercy, out of his grace, God decides to do something that man not only does not deserve, but man could never do on his own. He decides to provide a way to make things right. And ultimately he bridges the gap. He provides a way to restore the relationship. He provides reconciliation. He provides an opportunity for forgiveness. He extends a hand of friendship. He gives mankind an opportunity to not only be saved but from their sins, but, but also to be saved from hell. You say, how, do we, how did he do that? He sends his son, Yeshua. If sin required a perfect sacrifice, there was only one way that it was ever going to happen. God had to send perfection to earth to sacrifice his life for the sins of mankind. And so Jesus, Yeshua, who is also called the perfect lamb of God, would come to earth. He would take sins to the cross and he would sacrifice his life for it. And that's the only way that you and I are ever going to be made right with God. That's the only way that you and I can ever have friendship with God again. That's the only way that you and I are ever, ever, ever going to escape eternal separation from God and be rescued from a very real place called hell. God had to send his son, Yeshua, Jesus, the Lord who saves. And so as a result of of this, I want you to listen to what Paul says in the book of Romans chapter five. I love these verses. Listen to this. Christ died for us at a time when we were helpless and sinful, but God showed his, how much he loved us by having Christ die for us, even though we were, we were sinful, but there's more. Now that God has accepted us because of Christ and his sacrifice, his, his life's blood, we also will be kept safe from God's anger. Even when we were God's enemies, he made peace with us because his son died for us. Yet something even greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, we'll be saved by his son's life. And in addition to everything else, we are happy because God sent our Lord Jesus Christ to make peace with us. Christ died for you. Christ died for me. Christ died for us when we were at our very worst. And because of Jesus's death, God is no longer angry with you. There is peace. There is a relationship there where there you, where we used to be enemies with God. Yeshua has provided a way for there to be peace. And more than anything else, we have been saved. We have been rescued. We have been delivered from our sin and from separation from God and an eternity in hell. And Yeshua has done all of that for us. And when we look at that, listen, there is not a better word that you're ever going to hear in your entire lifetime. This is huge. It's the best news you'll ever hear. That's why we worship. And that's why we sing about Yeshua the way that we do. Because out of his love for us, God sent Yeshua, God sent Jesus to save us, to rescue us, to deliver us from our sin. And you look at that and you go, that's amazing. That's amazing love. That's love that I can't even comprehend even on my best day. Would you send your son to die for me? Probably not. But that's what God did for you. A few weeks ago, um, I had a chance to visit with one of um, my mentors who mentored me early on in my early days of, of ministry, June 1st, um, I celebrated 24 years of being in full-time ministry. And during those first three years of, of, uh, living in New Jersey, I had a, um, a gentleman who I used to drive in, down to the shore of New Jersey and visit with him. And uh, probably every other Saturday, I would go down and visit with this guy named Al Oldham. And we, I called him Dr. O his name. He was doctor, Dr. O and, and he, he oversaw this Bible conference. And, um, and I would just sit with him 
on this picnic table uh, next to this bay. And uh, we would just talk about life. And he just mentored me and just, just it was such an amazing thing. And um, at the time he was, he was uh, early 60s, or, I guess, or so. And, and um, I got a chance to meet with him two weeks ago and he's 84 now. And, um, and I sat down with him for three hours and I, and, and I wanted to ask him a question. And this was the question I asked him among many others, but this was the, like the, the key moment. I said, Dr. O, I want to ask you a question. I said, 84 years you've been living. He's got cancer now. Um, I said, I want you to tell me the greatest thing that God has ever showed you. All these years of walking with him, what's the one thing that stands out about all of these years of walking with Jesus? What's the one thing that God has just instilled inside of you and the thing that you've learned more than anything else? And here's what he told me. He said, Brian, I want to tell you something. He said, I used to be a staunch Calvinist. He said, and I used to really, you know, dig into that theology. And he said, I used to defend it. And he said, I'm 84 years old now. He said, you know what? He said, some of that stuff doesn't even matter to me right now. He said, matter of fact, I'm not even sure I agree with all that. He said, but the one thing, 84 years old, the one thing that God has showed me is that God loves me. I said, really? I mean, that's the one thing, the one thing. He goes, Brian, that's it. The one thing that stands out about everything else, all the theology. That, I mean, this man's a, a great historian. He, he could tell me the whole history of how of New England and how Christianity started and how the different colleges were started and how New England has kind of fallen away from God. And he just went through that with me. And he's a great theologian. I mean, he can, he can 84 recite poems and he can recite scripture verse by just such a sharp mind. And he said, the one thing that stands out more than anything else, 84 years old with cancer, God loves me. And I just walked away from that. I told Amy, I said, you know what? If there's one thing I want my boys to know when they leave my house is that God loves them. God loves them and they can trust him. And that's an amazing thing. And Amy reminded me as when I told her that story, she said, Brian, it reminds me of Ephesians chapter three eighteen, which I want to read to you this morning because I want you to get this. It says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should know how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then, listen to this, then and only then will you be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. How do I be made complete? How do I understand and and, and receive the fullness of life and the power that comes from God? You have to understand how much God loves you. Now, here's the challenge that so many people face today. Because they look at Jesus, they look at Yeshua, they look at the whole thing, and, and, and there's so many options in the world today. I mean, the world presents this just vast array of options on, on how we can know God personally. And the question of the day is, how, how can we know which is the right way? I mean, who has the right plan? Because every religion that's out there, I mean, has its own path on how to be made right with God and how we can have eternal life. And you see these bumper stickers. They have all the different symbols that say coexist. And you look and go, I wonder which one of those is the right way. Who's got it right? I mean, Islam, the Muslims, they seem to have a plan. But in order to have eternal life, you have to achieve it in your own merit. And their savior, Muhammad, the last time I checked, dead. You look at the Buddhists. The Buddhists, they have a plan. It's a growing religion. They've got a plan, but at the end of the day, you have to achieve it. And their savior, Buddha, is dead in the ground. You look at the Hindus. You look at, there's, there's all kinds of Hindus all over the world. And you go, well, they've got a plan, but here's the deal. You have to work to achieve eternal life. And since the savior in Hinduism is ultimately you, and you've got to worship cows, one day you're going to be dead in the ground. 
And you look at the Mormons. And the Mormons are doing everything they can to make themselves as much like Christianity. And when you look at Mormonism, everything points to Jesus. But at the end of the day, if you go down a little further, ultimately you still have to work to achieve eternal life. And the founders of Mormonism, dead. Jehovah's Witnesses. You look at Jehovah's Witnesses and they seem to say all the right thing, but only a select few get a chance to experience eternal life. And at the end of the day, you still have to earn it. And honestly, at the end of the day, all of those religions end up at a dead end road. All of them. And there are all kinds of different churches out there that will tell you that if you could just be good enough or if you could just do enough good things or if you're born into a Christian family that, that, you're, that you're, you can already be saved. You're already saved. I mean, I had people tell me before when I've asked them the question about salvation, they'll tell me, I've been saved all of my life. I've been saved from the morning I, I was born. No, you haven't. Listen, if we can make things right with God in our own strength, and we can make things right by doing good works, if we could earn it, then there would be no need for God to send his son, Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord who saves us to earth to die for our sins. The fact is God sent Jesus to pay for all of your sins, including the sins that you've committed in the past, the the sins you're committing now, and the sins that you're going to commit in the future. And then he rose from the dead to show the world that sin and death had no power over him. He defeated sin, he conquered death, and he sits very, very much alive at the right hand of the Father in heaven today. And the one day the Bible tells us, in Philippians chapter 2, that at the name of Jesus, not at the name of anyone else, but at the name of Jesus, that every knee, every Muslim knee, Every Hindu knee, every Buddhist knee, every Mormon knee, every Jehovah knee, every American knee, Every knee of anyone who has ever claimed to be a Christian. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth at the name of Jesus. You see, there's only one way. There's only one way that you're ever going to get things right with God. There's only one way that you can ever truly receive forgiveness of sin. And that's to believe that Jesus is the true son of God. To ask him to forgive you of your sins. It's called repentance. And to accept what Jesus did for you as a sacrifice and as a payment for your sins. I don't care what family you were born in. I don't care how good you think you are or what you've done. On your best day, doing your best work, you'll never be good enough to achieve what Jesus has already done for you. It's only through Jesus can you have eternal life. The only way you're going to escape a life of eternity in a very real place called hell is by taking every bit of faith that you have, all of your faith and all of your trust and putting it on Jesus to be your personal savior. So the question is, with all of these roads that are out there, all of these pathways, all of these choices that are out there, I mean, how do I know that Jesus is the right one? It's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. I want you to listen to what the apostles said about Jesus. These are the ones who walked with him. Many of them gave their very own life for him. They were martyred for Jesus. Here's what they said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, some people would look at that and go, well, that's pretty narrow-minded, Brian. I mean, all these religions that are out there in the world, all these people that are out there, I mean, that is narrow. How can you, listen to what Jesus said himself about this whole issue on how to know God personally. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, 
I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, Jesus said it straight up. He says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now I want to ask you another question. How many of you love baseball? Raise your hand. It's interesting. More people just raise their hand for baseball than babies. I, I don't... I can go with that. I want, to, I want to end this by telling you a story that some of you will love. And, um, if you don't like baseball, just bear with me. This is kind of an urban legend. And it happened back in, in 1925. The Pittsburgh, Pi- Pittsburgh Pirates were playing um, the Washington Senators. When Washington had a baseball team early on in, in the 19th century, they were called the Senators. And they were playing the Washington Senators in the World, in the world Series. And... Um, they had gotten down to the seventh game of the World Series. It was tied 3-3, three to three, the series was. And it was a tough series. I mean, there was a lot of hatred between these two fans, uh, fan bases. A lot of folks from Washington came to Pittsburgh to watch the last game. I mean, fights were breaking out in the stands. I mean, all, I mean they just back and forth, 3-3 three to three, the series was. And we get down into the last inning of the last game in the series. And the score is tied 6-6. Six to six. And the Senators are at bat at the top of the ninth inning. Extra police are brought onto the field because, I mean, things were tense. I mean, tensions were high in the stadium. People were trying to get, some folks were trying to climb into the, onto the field. And so the police were there, they were there on the field. We get into the top of the ninth and, and the, the senators are up and the first man comes to bat and he strikes out. The pirates got their best pitcher on the mound. I mean, this guy's throwing heat. The second batter comes up and, I mean, he steps in there and after a couple pitches, he drives a long fly ball to center field. I mean, this thing looks like it's going out. Could be the game-winning home run. Center fielder goes back, jumps up. I mean, just leaps, grabs the ball, pulls it down from being a home run. The manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates goes out to the mound. The fans from Washington are going crazy because up next comes the best batter in the league, a guy by the name of Goose Goslin. True guy, real guy. He had already hit three home runs in the series. He was just on a tear that whole year. Goose Goslin was quite a character. If you read about him in history, he was very animated. He was quite the, quite the uh, showboat in baseball, but the man could, could truly play the game. And the fans were going crazy from Washington. The fans from Pittsburgh were booing. And I mean, more police were, I mean, they, they began to lock arms because they were ready for the tension. Goose steps up to the plate and the pitcher digs in. First pitch, he throws, fastball right down the middle. Umpire, strike. Pitcher steps in. Goose kind of gets to the plate. Just kind of puts his bat on his shoulder. Second pitch comes in. Pitcher throws, another strike. Umpire, strike. Now, Goose Goslin has studied this pitcher. He knows that this guy never throws more than two fastballs. Uh, uh, he, he only th- he'll only throw two fastballs in a row. So he knows that the next pitch that's coming is either going to be a changeup or a curveball. And so he stands up there and being the kind of cocky guy he was, he winks at the pitcher. Of course, the pitcher, you know, I used to be a pitcher. That, that ticked you off right there. All right. <laughs> a little smirk on his face. Pitcher winds up, throws, and sure enough, Goose, it's a changeup. Goose steps back, waits on it, and <laughs> drives this ball to left center. I mean, the fans are on their feet. They are going crazy. I mean, this, this ball looks like it's going out. Left fielder runs, leaps up against the wall, bashes into it, falls down on the ground. 
I mean, he's like out. The center fielder's running to get the ball. Goose, by this time, has already rounded first. He's round, getting ready to round second. The center fielder picks up the ball, relays it to the shortstop. Goose is getting ready to slide into third. But the third base coach for the Senators is waving him home. Goose takes off around third base. I mean, and he, and he dives, into, dives into home plate. The ball comes at the same time. The catcher takes the ball, from the, pulls it down. There's dust everywhere. There was also a lot of fog that, was, that had settled in on the series, so it was, the visibility was kind of dim. And all of a sudden, after the dust settles, the umpire yells, You're safe! And the fans from Washington go crazy. Fights break out in the stands. The police are trying to hold people back because all of a sudden it it appears, you know, if they can hold the Pirates in the last half of the ninth that the Washington Senators have won the World Series. Well, while all this was going on, the first baseman, the pitcher, the first base umpire had sprinted to home plate. And they are now in a conference with the home plate umpire. And after talking and, and, you know, I mean, you know, just trying to work things through, the umpire from home plate walks over to the Washington Senators dugout and he looks at Goose Gosselin and he says, Goose, you are out. Now, there's a rule in baseball. It's a very important rule. You can hit the ball inside the field as far as you want. You can run all day long. But if you miss first base, it doesn't matter if you touch the other bases, when you dive into home, you're still out. Now I want you in your mind to put picture, if you would, what Jesus said in his words, I am the way, the truth, the life. And I want you to put, if you would, that picture on a baseball diamond, the way being first base, the truth being second, the life being third and home being eternity, the judgment where we're going to stand before God and to give an account of what we did with Jesus. I want you to know something. You can know all the truth in the world. You can go to every Sunday school class. You can you can know it all. If you're if you're raised Catholic, you can you can go to catechisms all day long, or if you're Lutheran or Episcopalian or Baptist and grown up in Sunday school and be at church every time the doors were open like I was, you can actually be living the life. You could be serving community makeover, pouring your heart out into all these great projects, helping widows and orphans. But I want to tell you something, when you stand at home plate before the ultimate umpire. If you haven't touched first base and gone through the way, Jesus Christ, and put all of your faith and all of your trust in him alone and received him into your life and asked for forgiveness, repented of your sins. When you stand before the umpire at home plate, the ultimate judge, God, you're going to be out. And that's the truth of the gospel. But I want to go back to what my mentor told me. God loves you. If you don't get anything else in this whole lifetime, what you need to know is that God loves you and you can trust him. And God has provided a way for you through Jesus Christ to have eternal life. The Bible says that God so loved the world, real simple, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes on him would have eternal life. And this morning, by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, by going through the way, Jesus, and by believing that he is the son of God, by asking for forgiveness of sins, you can bridge that gap. You can cross that great divide because Jesus has made a way for you to do it. Without him, there is no way. Without you bridging that gap, putting your faith and trust 
in what Jesus has done for you on the cross, there's no way to get to the other side, but God has provided a way. And this morning, the opportunity is yours. God stands right here with arms wide open and says, listen, I've given you the way. I've, recon- I've made reconciliation. I've provided a way. But it only comes through my son, Jesus. Would you put your faith and trust in that way? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Some of you in here this morning, you may know the truth. You may actually be living the life. But I want you to hear me clearly. Without Jesus, when you get to home, you're still going to be out. If that weren't the case, God would never have to have to send his son Jesus to pay for your sins. That was the whole purpose of doing it. But a perfect sacrifice has been made. Reconciliation has been given. The hand of friendship has been extended back to you. Your sin has separated you from God. You're still, without Jesus, you're still God's enemy. You're spiritually dead inside. But Jesus has extended the hand to you. And the question is, will you receive it? Will you receive eternal life? Will you receive Jesus this morning? I want to give you that opportunity. Say, Brian, I don't even know where to begin with something like that. I want you to pray with me. I'm going to lead you there. You may say something like this, Lord Jesus, right now, I take every bit of faith and every bit of trust that I have and I put it on Jesus Christ and what Jesus Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross where he paid for all of my sins. And this morning, I believe that Jesus is the son of God and I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I repent. I change my mind. And Lord, I want you to know that I can't do this on my own. Because of sin, I realized this morning that my sin has separated me from you. But Jesus has provided a way for me to not only know you personally, not only to have victory in this life, but to have eternal life in heaven one day with you. And so this morning, again, Lord, I take all of my faith and all of my trust and I put it on the cross. And I thank you for the gift of salvation. And at this moment, I receive Jesus Christ to be my personal savior. Now with your head still bowed, I wanna ask all of our life care ministers, if you would just to come to the sides of the wall for a moment. I want you to do me a favor. If you just prayed that prayer, maybe you've done it for the very first time, maybe you did it years ago, but you didn't understand it, but you've done it this morning and you know, you know that this is the moment that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is the moment that you sealed the deal. I want you to do me a favor. Would you just slip your hand up so I can know how to pray for you? Would you just raise your hand and say, this morning, I sealed the deal. I made things right with God. I've come through the cross. I just received Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. Just slip your hand up so I can know that you're here. Amen. 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 Several of you. Amen. 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 Father, I thank you this morning for what you've done through Jesus. Lord, when we were at our very worst, you sent Jesus to the world to die for our sins, to do something that we could never do on our own. You provided a payment that we could never pay. 
Lord, there was a, a, a debt that was owed, Lord, on, on our best day. We could never pay it. And I thank you this morning, Lord, that it's already been paid. And I thank you, Lord, that Jesus has been offered as a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. The blood's been shed. Lord, sins have not only been covered, they've been, Lord, the payment of sins been removed for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Lord, today, not only are we spiritually alive, but we've been given the promise that we can walk victorious through this life, even, Lord, when we are struggling at our very worst. Even when life, Lord, deals us a bad hand, we know, Lord, that you are there with the peace of God that passes all understanding. And, Lord, we know ultimately that our home is not ultimately here. It's in heaven. We are citizens of heaven today. And I thank you for that promise, Lord. We love you so much for that. And I thank you, Lord, that you love us. You love us. And we can trust you. In Jesus' name.